Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we're joined by Pastor Terry Wyant Vargo. Pastor Terry, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Grayson. Thank you. It's good to have you. Thank you for joining us. Pastor Terry, just start out today. We'll uh, have you share your testimony, but just start out by telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. Well, I am from the beautiful Elton, Virginia. I grew up there and lived there until I was 24 years old, and then I moved to Tampa, Florida. And I have been blessed to be back home now for the last 20 years. I relocated back to the Valley in June of 1999. That is great. It is a great thing to grow up in the Shenandoah Valley, and it's a great place to come back to. So in your growing up years, um, tell us a little bit about your family. Did you have siblings? Yes, uh, I have a brother that's 10 years older than I am. Uh, So I was kind of like an only child as I was growing up. He was already uh, starting off to college. Uh, But I do remember times around the dinner table, mom fixed uh, the best meals in the world. And we would always sit down together to have dinner when daddy would get off from work. And he was a contractor, so he would often travel long distance and then would be back home uh, nighttime for dinner and sometimes would be gone over the weekend. Well, thank you for sharing that, Pastor Terry. And you mentioned that you're from Elkton and that your dad was a contractor and you had a brother 10 years older than you. So just tell any fond memories that you have growing up in Elkton with your family that you would like to share with us. Well, uh, I just always looked up to my brother. I was his baby sister, so I can remember times uh, when he uh, got his driver's license and I got to ride around in his uh probably 63 Mustang. Uh, That was always fun. And I remember Christmas being the absolutely wonderful time of the year. Um, It would always be family. It was 16 kids on my dad's side of the family. So everybody would come to our home uh, to have uh, different foods. Mom was a great cook. Uh, She loves to cook and uh, she would bake cakes, bake pies. Uh, The Warnock Colonel cake was my favorite. It was a three-level cake that she would start out three months early cracking walnuts uh, to go into the cake batter and then have whole walnuts on the outside of the cake uh, that I would always put aside for Santa Claus with eggnog. Uh, But our house was always filled with uh, family uh, around the Christmas holidays. It was a wonderful time. That is really, um, you brought back memories to me as I was listening to you. Walnut cracking was something, um, you know, having walnuts and, and just the kitchen being full of people cooking and baking. And um, I can see your mom bustling around uh, doing that. Uh, thanks for sharing that. It took me down kind of a nostalgic uh, road. So, Pastor Terry, as you grew up, was going to church, like where did church come into play in your life? For me, as a little girl, I was uh, taken to church uh, but dropped off. Uh, Mom and Daddy had different backgrounds. Uh, My dad was Pentecostal. Mom was Baptist. Uh, So it was not an agreement in our family as to which church to go to. 
So the closest church was across the street, literally within walking distance. Uh, so I remember walking uh, to church with my brother uh, as a little girl. And then uh, as he was away at college, uh, I was taken and dropped off. Uh, I remember Vacation Bible School. It was wonderful uh, to be there and to do the crafts and sing the songs. And uh, I remember playing Red Rover, Red Rover, come right on and over. Uh, but as soon as I became old enough to start questioning my parents as to why they were not going to church, if they didn't have to go, why should I have to go? Uh, I started into being a, a rebellious teenager uh, right around 13 years old, and uh, I quit going to church. So that was it for me at that point. And then um, my dad died when I was 19, which really took me down another deep, dark path of which I would call uh, the highway to hell uh, because of the choices that I was making. So I was way far away from God. Uh, my family certainly was believers, uh, but when my dad got really sick with cancer and people were coming and they were praying for my dad, I didn't understand at that age that healing would mean uh, that you could be healed and go to heaven. I literally thought that daddy was going to be healed and everything was going to be okay. So when he died, uh, I went off the deep end and really, um, say, got mad at God because my dad didn't make it. He was 53 years young when he died, and I was 19. Wow, that's painful. And that took you down a long road. You've already kind of hinted at that. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you and maybe the journey away and then maybe back to God. Okay, sure. Uh, so that took me off the deep end and uh, moved to Tampa, Florida at the age of 24. Uh, I went to Florida for fun in the sun, like uh, enjoying the beach. I had uh, gone there on vacation and made friends and decided I was going to move there uh, because it had seen here in the valley. It's a small town, Elton. So when you get in trouble, everybody knows that you're in trouble. Uh, so I just moved away. But the thing about it is you can't move away from who you are. You end up making the same kinds of friends. Uh, you end up doing the same kinds of things. And the bars in Tampa actually stay open to three o'clock in the morning. And then there's bottle clubs that will stay open until six o'clock in the morning. So uh, I got a really good job with automatic data processing. That was my first job in Tampa. And I was doing really well, uh, but I was living the same exact lifestyle that I had had here in the Valley. At that point, um, something tragic happened in my life. Uh, this would have been 1987, so I'm dating myself now. It's 2020. I've been home 20 years. I'm 58 years young. Uh, but at that time, I had made best friends with this young lady. She was... 24. I was 24. And she had told me that summer when I moved there that her stepfather had been making passes at her. And I thought she needed to tell her mother. And when she told her mother, her mother didn't believe her. So that whole summer, I kept encouraging her to tell her mother what was going on. That December, my boss, who was a Christian, invited me to his home to have Christmas dinner to sing Christmas carols, 
Oh, it was a wonderful time. All these folks from church were there, and it was like family. And I remember telling Bill Snyder that I needed to leave and go home because I had friends coming over. So I did. I left and went home to my apartment. The music was blaring. I had a keg of beer and had all kinds of friends there. And someone started knocking at the door that no one knew. And it was my boss, Bill Snyder. And when I went to the door, I said, hey, Bill, what are you doing? And he said, I want you to go to church with us. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I want you to go to church with us. My girls, his little girls, were waiting for Miss Terry to go to church and his wife, Robin. And I said, well, I can't possibly go to church. I got a house full of people. And he said, well, they will wait for you an hour. You can go to church. And I said, oh, Bill, I can't go to church. I've been drinking. I'm better than that. I can't go to church. And he said, uh, yeah, you can sit with me and my family. You can go to church. So uh, that's exactly what I did. He, he just wouldn't leave, and he was my boss. So I took off and went to church. I met Pastor Crudoff that night and his wife, Mary Lou. This was uh, Christmas. It was Christmas Eve service. And everybody was just, like, so thankful to see me. Well, the next month was my 25th birthday, January the 27th. And on that same day, I decided to skip work, went out into Tampa Bay on a a little um, sailboat, drank Captain Morgan, had beer, and had a great time, only to get home and hear that uh, Diane, my friend, had been in a horrible accident, and for me to come to Tampa General and to come as quickly as I could. Because see, now, Diane was the friend that I had continued to insist that she tell her mother, that her stepfather was making passes at her. So uh, when I went to the hospital, and I do hospital visitation now, but never in my life have I ever been prepared for anything like this. I had to gown up and put coverings over my shoes, over my face, my head, my hands. And uh, Diane, she had confronted her mother again. Her mother finally decided to tell her stepfather and he went out into the garage and got a can of gasoline and came in and threw it up against diane and struck a match diane ran outside on fire and the neighbors saw her and rolled her in the grass she burned 93 percent of her body Hmm. when i stood beside of her hospital bed that day i uh, grabbed to the rails of the bed and my knees began to knock, and uh, I remember that I had been taught to pray. See, Diane was bandaged from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet in bandages, and she was bleeding through the bandages. She had slits where her eyes would be able to see out, but there was no skin to graft because she was burned uh, down to her insides, and she was really literally dying while she was laying there. And I prayed for her. I didn't know what else to do because I had been taught to pray. The church that I had gone to loved the Lord, and they had taught me to pray. My family had taught me to pray, so I knew I should pray. That was the right thing to do. When I went out of the hospital room that day, there stood my boss, Bill Snyder, and there stood Pastor Crudolph, and they said they were going to be praying for me. And I said, you're going to be praying for me, blankety, blank, blank, blank. Mm. I didn't need their prayers. 
And I certainly wanted to know what kind of God would let something like this happen. Because, see, Diane was also Bill Snyder's employee. We worked together at Automatic Data Processing. And she was only 24 years old and something like this had happened. So I went back to work and Diane lay in intensive care. They flew her to South Carolina burn unit. And every day that Diane lived, I thought that God was answering my prayers. I was having nightmares. It was like she had been tattooed to the inside of my eyelids. That whether my eyes were open or whether my eyes were shut, I could see Diane Roman in that hospital bed. So my boss said, Terry, why don't you start coming to church? God will help you get through this. And, you know, I started going to church, and I was just confident things were going to get well. Diane was going to be okay because, I mean, she was living. And I still didn't understand how bad things were. Well, Diane died on March 31st, 1988, and I continued to go to that church after she had died. Now, I would go into that church on a Sunday morning, and anybody that knows someone that's been drinking, then they probably have a hangover or they're still high from the night before, depending on what time they decided to come in. And anyone that knows someone that's been drinking, they know they smell like alcohol. And I would go into that church, and I look back on it now, I thought those people were ancient. They were all in their 50s and their 60s. Now, did I tell you I was 58 years young? Okay. Well, I'm 25 in a church of people that, you know, are, I thought, ancient. And they would say, oh, it is so good to see you. I've been praying for you. And I think... They've been praying for me? Why have they been praying for me? They don't even know me. And why is it so good to see me? They they don't even know me. They got families. They got kids. I stick out like a sore thumb. I got my dress on that's too short. I drive a Jeep. I mean, really? They care about me? I mean, I'd have to smoke a cigarette when I got in my vehicle and put the top down and all that stuff. And they'd wave at me after I'd drive out of the church parking lot. There they're standing waving at me. They just love me unconditionally. And I just couldn't get it. Well, I kept on going to church. And I was a hardhead kid as a little girl. And I was still a hardhead kid as a young adult. Because I started there when I was 25. And I accepted Jesus when I was 33. And that church loved me unconditionally every Sunday because I was a person that loved to dance. So I, I'd get home in time to get a shower and get cleaned up, ready to go to church on Sunday morning because that's how much it meant to me because it seemed like I belonged there, but I couldn't give up my old ways. And what happened the Sunday before I accepted Jesus into my heart, I should have been singing a solo in the church sanctuary. And instead of singing a solo in the church sanctuary, I was sitting in the Brandon jail uh, for a DUI. And it was like my fifth one. And they were watching me under observation to make sure I didn't die from too much alcohol. I was a .25. They say that's legally dead. 
So they observed me and wouldn't even let me call an attorney or call for help for someone to come and release me to their custody because I had so much alcohol in my system. So that next day, I had to call in work because I didn't have a driver's license and I had to face the music now in Florida that I had faced so many years ago in Virginia. I'm working at a new place. I'm at GTE Federal Credit Union and I'm now the financial center manager over like 16 employees and I'm gonna have to tell the vice president of the credit union that I have spent the night in jail and I don't know how I'm going to get back and forth to work from here on out because I don't have a driver's license. Mm. And I call, and Tom, well, she's in heaven now, but again, God put me with another believer. I was so hopeless that day that if I had had courage to get rid of myself, then I would have because I was just had tried so many times to quit drinking, so many times to quit doing alcohol, so many times to live a good life. And it just wouldn't happen. I just couldn't do it. And I remember Tom telling me that day, he said, Terry, you can't let others influence your choices. I'm going to have my sweet Pat call you, and she's going to pray with you. That family called me throughout the day. I know they thought that I was going to end my life. They kept checking on me. They'd say, you know, Jesus loves you so much, Terry. There's not anything that you could ever do that would keep you from God's love. And I was miserable because, I mean, I didn't know how in the world I was going to get back and forth to work. I didn't know how I was going to be able to make it in Florida. I was going to have to go home. I was going to have to just everything. It was just the end of the road. Went to work the next day, got a ride into work. There came that dear boss of mine, and he said, Terry, don't let other people influence your decisions. And I'm so glad you're here and God loves you and you're going to get through this. And, you know, every day Tom would come and check on me. And I mean, every day for the rest of the time that I worked at GTE Federal Credit Union, he checked on me. But that whole week went by. I had to sign up for what I called then the chain gang. I didn't really have chains on or anything, Uh, but uh, I had to go out and pick up trash with uh, a little orange suit on that said I was Hillsborough County jail team. Uh, It was quite embarrassing. I wore this old straw hat like anybody was going to know me in Tampa, Florida, but it was horrible, horrible. And then I had to, what was even worse, I had to go sit on a victim's impact panel and hear these people talk about what someone like me actually has done to them and their family to see somebody like me drinking and driving had killed their family members. And I got to do that for three months worth of Saturdays and sit and think how I, I didn't hit nobody. I didn't kill anybody, but how I could have and how those people had suffered because of people like me getting behind the wheel, drinking and driving, got to do ASAP, got to pay about uh, $20,000 in fines and got to go without a driver's license for 10 months. But that following Sunday, before Pastor Crudolf ever gave the altar call, boy, I was up front. Man, I was crying. I was just all over that altar. And if it was any way to say what God cleaned up that day, 
Wow, that altar would have been completely full because there it laid. That was the end of the cigarettes. That was the end of the drugs. And that was the end of the alcohol. And, you know, it was the end. But I still had the same exact friends that I had before I went forward. And they would start to say to me when I'd go visit them, you want to burn a joint? And I'd say no. And they'd say, well, how come? Are you pregnant? And I'd say no. And then they'd say, you want to do a line of coke? No, I don't. Well, how come? You got a pee test? No, I don't. Well, what's up with you? And I'd say, I got saved. Well, I quickly learned people that don't know Jesus don't know what you got saved from. So then I had to start talking on their terms because I was so churchy. It was driving them crazy. They didn't understand. I didn't have any influence except I was allowed to sit in their presence, but I couldn't tell them about what was going on inside of me because it was all these church words that I was trying to tell them about. So then I began to tell them that God had cleaned me up and how I felt about it. And I began to talk on their terms. And it was an amazing, beautiful thing that happened. Um, still friends with those friends in Florida. Uh, God's still using me in their lives. It's amazing because I've been home now 20 years. Uh, but advance forward. I moved home in June 1999. Our church, HFCN, had been open for that first Sunday and I'm traveling the back road on a Wednesday night coming from a Baptist church. Nothing wrong with the Baptist, but I'm coming from a Baptist church on a Wednesday night service, driving the back road or Port Road and Boyers because I want to see the apple orchards. I want to see the stuff that I'm accustomed to seeing when I lived here. And there was what looked like a building that looked like a church. And I thought, wow, that was never there when I lived here. I better drive in there and ask those people some questions because everybody was coming out right at the time I was driving through there. I pull in, Jamie Baker and his wife, Kim, were walking out, and then Pastor Joe Stoner and Christy, they're there, and I got all these questions, and, man, I had so many questions. They said, well, let us go get our senior pastor, which was Carrie Willis, your daddy. He comes on out, and he says, they call me senior not because I'm old or anything. And I wanted to know what made you a member at the Church of the Nazarene. And, you know, was the Holy Spirit in that church? Because, see, God had cleaned me up so much, I was about to bust. He had made it possible for me to move back to this valley, which really I never thought I would ever live here again. Uh, it was a calling on my life at that time to come home and take care of my mom. And she wasn't even sick at the time, but I obeyed. And, you know, I'm talking to Pastor Kerry, and he's telling me all this, and he says, well, why don't you come back this Sunday and see for yourself? Well, Grayson, I've been in this church since 1999, and I haven't gone anywhere else. And I tell you what, I'm loving every minute of it. I love to say yay for Jesus because he's cleaned me up, and he's using me with all my old junk to go after folks that have some common threads with me. You know, Pastor Terry, as you were talking, I had a lot of thoughts. Um, I'd not heard all of your story before. 
I relate with you on a lot of levels. And this scripture is true for you, it's true for me, and it's true for anyone who comes to believe in Christ and Jesus as our Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And that is such a picture of your life. And I want you to share a little bit um, in the time we have left about what you do in the jails. Because it's very clear to see why you have such a passion for those that are addicted and are in prison. And so share a little bit just what that looks like and some of the opportunities you've had recently. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Margaret. Uh, So I was ordained in 2015 after a long journey. You know you're called, but uh, boy, it is a long journey. And I would say that time of my life was all worship. Uh, the school papers, the classes, uh, it was hard. And I knew at that time that God was calling me to something, but I didn't know what. But I really felt like I wanted to go in and see the ladies uh, at the jail, but you couldn't go in with your local license, couldn't go in with your district license, couldn't go in until you were ordained. So 2015, I was ordained. And as soon as I got my license that I could take into the Rockingham County Jail, I was there to show them my license. The very next month, uh, someone called, asked me if I would go see their daughter. Uh, And from that point, uh, things began to open up. I I didn't even know these people, but I would go and visit them one-on-one. And then these opportunities came that they would say, you know, will you go see this person? Will you go see this person? And then uh, Pastor Margaret had contacted me and asked me, um, Major Justice had an opening for a Bible study there at Rockingham and asked would I be interested in possibly leading that. And I said, yes, absolutely. So now since 2015, um, I would go to Rockingham until they started the renovation. So right now that's closed for ladies. They're all being moved to Middle River. Uh, But I would go to Rockingham and still going to Middle River now with Hope Restored, which is a a ministry for ladies, Uh, but over 200 ladies have accepted Jesus within that time frame, and, you know, what I hear is that, okay, yeah, sure, Uh, they accept Jesus because it's jailhouse uh, salvation, Uh, but here's what I can say to that is come on to the Church of the Nazarene, and you'll get to meet some of them. Um, They are serving Jesus. Uh, They are loving Jesus. They're involved in Celebrate Recovery. They're involved Bob with Hope Distributed. Uh, so lives are being changed. I love to tell the story about my Georgia Peach. Uh, she accepted Christ in 2018. She lives in Georgia. She was uh, separated from her husband at the time. She's back with her husband. They've had a baby girl, and she's attending a church there in Georgia now. Mm-hmm. But she made that decision for Jesus here in the valley. Uh, and wonderful things are happening. So Recently, in January of this year, I was invited uh, to be part of a team of 22 speakers with We Care program. Uh, I traveled to Alabama, and I preached in the ladies' prisons, and it was an awesome, awesome experience. Mm -hmm. I got to go in, uh, meet them one-on-one in their actual home place where they're living. 
I met a couple ladies uh, that had been incarcerated now, one for 27 years, one for 21 years, and they've accepted Jesus. And, you know, it's a good possibility they're going to die in that prison, but they're going to see Jesus. And at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. Uh, we make bad mistakes, and, you know, we have to suffer the consequences of those mistakes. Uh, but God does forgive. And the beautiful thing about being able to go into these facilities, I have met officers. And when I first met them, I think maybe they were, you know, seeing people for repeat offenders. And, you know, I, I'm kind of wide open. I've had the reputation of being a radical now for Jesus uh, or nuts or all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, and I am, and that's okay. Uh, but I have loved on the officers. Uh, I've told them about what God has been doing in the ladies' lives and uh, we've got several officers that are now uh, attending the Harrisburg Church of the Nazarene. Uh, one officer with his fiance, uh, with his young son, mm -hmm. and then uh, one of the young lady officers uh, is attending. So uh, things are happening. And, you know, you just keep loving people for Jesus. And as you do, the Holy Spirit shows up and he does all the rest. Amen. Yes, amen. Pastor Terry, thank you for sharing today your testimony. And uh, I believe uh, you have more to tell, more about what God's doing right now in your life. And so we'll have to have you back on for part two. Um, but uh, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Grayson, for inviting me and giving me this opportunity uh, to say yay for Jesus and that uh, there's no one outside of God's reach. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that uh, Pastor Terry Wyant Vargo's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.